Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversants are Aaron Terrell and Eliza Mondegreen. Aaron Terrell is the co-host of Transparency, which is a podcast by trans people for trans people, and Aaron is also a member of Gender Dysphoria Alliance, which is advocating for transgender evidence-based healthcare. Eliza Mondegreen is also a writer who's been studying the transgender phenomena from a very heavily researched position and point of view. And in this conversation, we talk about Aaron's visit to the National Transgender Health Summit earlier in May and Eliza Mondegreen's visit to the EPATH conference, which is the European Professional Association for Transgender Health. In this conversation, they swap notes about their experiences of these increasingly ideologically informed rather than evidence-based professional health associations. And a lot of what is revealed is pretty wackadoodle. So without further ado, here is Aaron Terrell and Eliza Mondegreen. It looks like your drink has egg in it. Did you put like an egg white yeah, in there? Yeah, I put like an egg white... Do you have a gin and tonic? I do. Okay, great. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. <we> oh, Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, to the most rescheduled podcasts. Let's In do it. History. Let's do it. I think it was just once or twice. It was like three times. Oh, damn. Okay. Because I just, I just didn't get better. <laughs> oh, are you doing better now? Yeah. Yeah. You sound good. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. <sighs> what are the beans? When? What do you? How do? How shall we spill them? <laughs> uh, I'm dying to hear about the San Francisco Trans Health Summit. I feel like Aaron should go first. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, I I I asked the the question right that I uh, posed of uh, to WPATH as as uh, Eliza knows. I'm not sure if you heard this story, uh, Benjamin, but I was I was uh, kicked out of um, the WPATH Health Conference, the SOC Eight Symposium. Uh, I was attending virtually, and I uh, made a thread asking what um, what providers were in, were doing to ensure that cis children and adolescents weren't being transitioned mm -hmm. unnecessarily. And uh, I was, yeah, kicked out of the conference for asking that question uh, without refund. Um, yeah, so uh, then I... Uh, Why would they kick you out? Is that not a valid question? Is that an offensive question? You would think that's a pretty valid question and probably ideally a pretty reasonable question and one that you know they should be able to uh, readily answer. And one um, that you had even phrased in their favorite language. Yeah, yeah, I used all yeah. the appropriate, all the appropriate language, and um, yeah. But no, I was as to why that got me kicked out. I don't know. They never 
answered that question. I emailed uh, a few times. So did Aaron, the uh, director of uh, Gender Dysphoria Alliance, who I was attending on. I was attending as a representative of uh, Gender Dysphoria Alliance. Uh, and uh, yeah, anyway, I emailed asking why I was removed. Um, and, and there was a, a, the person who would, um, there was an am administrator who, who um, facilitated the uh, registration transfer between Aaron and mm -hmm. myself because he couldn't attend. And she'd been really, really prompt in answering you know, any kind of needs, whatever. She was very, very prompt. And so I emailed her. I was like, wait, why was I removed? No answer. Aaron emailed her, and then he also emailed the director of WPATH, and uh, nobody provided an explanation as to why I was removed. And um, best we guess, best guess, accepting the ideology, liability. If if they were to come down one way or the other, then they're assuming liability for their uh, their. I, I wanted to say ethics, but their standards of care. I was well, just going to say wrong kind of trans. Yeah, I think I think I think it just it, it poses a kind of cognitive dissonance that nobody in that kind of forum wants to grapple with. Um, uh, I made it clear that I was a trans person and that I was concerned about these things. Um, and I and I think, uh, well, because well, they can't answer that question. We know that that you know the if anyone's read standards of care, a, you you know that this is not a medical document. Um, it's, it's, it's just activists speak through and through. There's no, um, I mean, they, they kind of phrase things in such a way that it's kind of coded as if it were, um, a scientific uh, it's piece medical -ish. of, yeah, 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 it's, it's yeah. Sciencey. Sciencey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got yeah. a, it's got a, uh, you know, it's cosplaying medical, uh, uh, yeah. document um so but, it's like cross-dressing yes and, yes uh, exactly it's yeah very unconvincing it's not passing very well at all um <laughs> oh, no. it's not even trying very hard <laughs> to be honest um anyway but it's the standard it's the standard for all major professional medical organizations it is period indeed. yep yep period. it is the the Worldwide. top of the chain of trust it is the that which well is all filters down from and it's a joke um but anyway, so I, I was only attending virtually, right? So I, it was just, mm -hmm. it was very easy to remove me via clicks of buttons. And so I went to, uh, recently, a couple weekends ago, I went to the San Francisco Trans Health Summit and uh, thought we'd put a little experiment into action and see what would happen if I asked that question in person. Um, so I did in a session that was being uh, led by a task force from the American Psychological Association, the APA, uh, who are writing a new, uh, they're revising the guidelines for psychologists uh, uh, who are treating uh, transgender patients. And mm -hmm. so I thought, well, here, you know, I was, I, I went with the intention of asking the question in the first place in person. Um, and then reading, going through the agenda, I was like, okay, this is kind of the perfect setting. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I I did get to ask that question in person. Anyway, I, we can talk about that. We can talk about a very a variety of different sessions I went to therein. But yeah, but what we are we are talking about that. But before we get to that compelling moment, <laughs> just tell us what it was like to be there. Like, what was the conference like? What was the uh, you know like just the 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 vibe of the conference and your your own like you know your own feelings about being there and stuff like that. I mean, Put it us was in there. It was. Um, so yeah, we're in, in in San Francisco at the Hyatt in in one of the Hyatts, uh, Re Hyatt Regency I think uh, in in San Francisco. It was very um, 
I don't know. I, I guess most of the people there looked like if they were they were trans themselves of some of some description. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say for sure if that's the. I mean, maybe not most. I don't know. Um, but a lot of the people did look like they were. You know. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know how to how to put this other than yeah, it was more more trans than I expected it to be as far as the uh, the, the people in attendance. Uh, I was kind of I was nervous kind of going into it because I thought. Because uh, it was very much a medical conference, um, and mm-hmm. so even registering and whatnot, I was kind of concerned because I don't have any clinical credentials to be there, I, you know, um, and I was worried that I would be, yeah, ousted as that that transphobe from the podcast or whatever. But um, so that didn't happen. So I, 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 but anyway, they, yeah, there was a lot of people in there who I thought were just there as like trans members of the community, but then they would chime up in. Um, uh, in different sessions and whatnot and say like talking about their patients or, or this, you know, it was very clear that they were, were health professionals as well. Um, so as well as being, what was the, trans. were they having fun? It was it serious. Oh, like what no, was it, the attitude? It was, um, uh, it was celebratory. It was, uh, very, okay. um, it was very, uh, kind of, <laughs> there was, there was a breakfast prayer where we, uh, gave thanks to the ancestors because everybody has ancestors, so that's some. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was very. Yeah, there, there was very religious, a very religious kind of. A, it was like very revivaly, you know. Very. Um, it wasn't. They weren't thanking the transcestors, just the no, ancestors. No, 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 no. Just ancestors in general. It very much okay. seemed like just, just an excuse to have a prayer. It, it was. It, I don't know. It was. It was interesting, but a lot of the a lot of the vibe was very. You know, just I know I, it, it was very much what I expected it to be, especially having here uh, your your experience, Eliza, from the from mm-hmm. you were there in person at the WPATH conference, of course. Um, but it, it, it was, yeah, really kind of this sense of, of celebration and also, um, you know, being being put upon. A lot of it was going like you know, was was leaning on. Uh, like the kind of the politics of the day and how, how, you know, mm-hmm. trans kids are under attack right now and all these red States. And it was very much like, yeah. you know, attack, attack, you know, and, um, war footing, war footing where they, like they were engaged in battle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all engaged in battle out there in our respective communities, but we get to come to this conference together to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. rally each other and support each other and kind of, they didn't say this, but obviously remind ourselves that we're on the right side, you know, and yeah. it, it very much seemed not so much of as a health conference of like, here's the latest research, which they were. It, I mean, a lot of the, the the sessions were, here's the latest research. This is or it wasn't, you know, not so much medical research so much as, you know, this is how people are responding to having to give Sogi mm-hmm. information and having, you know, like, hmm. you know, how, how do we make, you know, um, Chinese communities tell us their pronouns when there's no actual, you know, gendered pronouns in, you know, okay. anyway, it, it was like, so a lot of it seemed like it had some sort of uh, workshoppy. Yeah. 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 Um, but mm-hmm. the general theme was, um, yeah. Yeah. Raw, raw trans. And was, was there a central document like WPATH last year that Eliza went to, like they were unveiling a document. Was there a perfect, a stated purpose or was it kind of just a, a, a meet and greet and then like different conferences to share information, share battle strategies and stuff like that and network. Yeah, exactly. 
that okay. that was the, the gist of it there wasn't any sort of uh, a central theme other than i think it was like resilience or something like that was the theme okay. but it wasn't there okay. wasn't no there was not a, a specific uh, medical theme or a medical purpose other than yeah networking and um yeah i mean it's annual so so it's you know okay. it's not like it was out of the blue sort of thing um okay. it is annual and and how many people that's an odd thing to ask maybe you know like a couple hundred people was it? no few hundred i would say i would probably say pushing a thousand i'm not a great okay. judge of, of numbers but i know on the virtual okay. platform there was at least like 900 and some uh on you know like you could look on the the yeah the online guest sure, attendees yeah. and this was an only in-person one so there wasn't like a virtual element to it i mean there was a virtual element in that there was the virtual platform, but it was all in person. There weren't any virtual attendees. So again, on that, on the app, there was like 900 and some guests and that kind of checked out with, you know, in the, in the few, um, grand mm -hmm. sessions where everybody came together at certain okay. you know, lunches yeah. and breakfasts for the prayer and whatnot. So, um, so, so you're, you're like, I have one question, one burning question and you, you select this very specific I guess, venue to ask mm -hmm. that. So what was it like being in that room? What were they talking about leading up to that? Like what were the, who were, who was represented there? So they were directing. It was, it was unfortunate. So I've been to a, a lot of sessions thus far. It was Saturday afternoon. I want to say I was there all day, Friday and Saturday, and it was going all day Sunday as well, but I left early. But um, uh, so it was Saturday afternoon sometime. And it was one of the smaller sessions, unfortunately, just looking through the syllabus or looking through the agenda. I knew that that was kind of the most appropriate, you know, venue to ask it in. Uh, but it was, it was, I mean, on one hand, it's unfortunate that it was, that it was small. Um, not that I want like a huge audience to this, to the question or whatever, mm -hmm. but it would have been interesting to see, you know, what, what, what that was like. But then on the other hand, it was kind of nice that it was so few because I did, I, I was having like, like a lot of like, you know, heart palpitations and a lot of nervousness going into, into asking the question. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, so, so, but, but to restate the question. So, so the session, the, the session I was in was, yeah, they were um, uh, reworking the APA's guidelines for, for treating transgender and uh, I think it was gender diverse um, patients. They're very clear about that. You know, it's gender diverse and they also throw in gender expansive a lot. It's like you can't argue with that. Right. They're not talking about. Anyway, so because of that, I wanted to be clear about what I was asking. And so I said at some point, well, so I asked, you know, like what, what my concern is. And other people in that in in the room had actually uh, voiced similar concerns. Is like what in in the final you know it, when this is finally published, is there going to be any sort of actual assessment, any kind of actual roadmap that that psychologists can follow to actually mm -hmm. assess and diagnose uh, transgender patients? And um, and then I realized that I'd kind of asked that question without putting some context I wanted to frame in there, which was that I myself was trans. So I went back and I said, you know, I'm a trans man myself. And this is something that I've been kind of concerned more and more about over the last few years. And then I also said, we know that there are trans kids and there are cis kids and we need to be basically able to, you know, to, to identify which is which. Obviously, I don't believe that there are such a thing as as trans kids or cis kids, but very mm -hmm. much. If, if, if you are if you're treating and diagnosing you, you know it, it all rests on this on this basic presumption yeah, that if, if there, you accept the category then you have to right. accept both categories right. there There's, is and is there not. has to be a distinction right there is like these are distinct categories that we have to be operating within in order to justify these kind of interventions right um but anyway so so i, I put that in there as well 
And uh, the so again, it was four people on this task force, and they'd all presented the 19 guidelines that they had written thus far. And most of it was all activists speak around affirming identities. None of it was actual guidelines about like yeah assessment or diagnosis. It was all just like how do you affirm anyway. Um, so I, um, hmm. uh, anyway, the, the person who responded basically said, the first person who responded was, well, it's not a psychologist. They seem very uncomfortable, first of all. They seem very uncomfortable at the question. Um, three of them were non-binary of some persuasion, and then the other one was a, was a kind of um, binary trans man, uh, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the first person who responded was a, uh, a self-identified uh, non-binary person, clearly female, had some facial hair and a deep voice. Um, uh, but but they said that uh, it, it's not a psychologist's job to tell someone what their gender is. It's their job to listen and to affirm and to help that patient achieve their embodiment goals. Um, and this is, again, this, this is also applying to children, right? That, that you know, it's, it's their job to uh, listen and believe and affirm and to help a uh, minor achieve their embodiment goals. Embodiment goals. Yep. Did you ask what that meant or do you know what that means? And Eliza might understand what they mean by that because I believe you brought that mm -hmm. up because I have such a cringe response that I remember. It's emblazoned on my mind when Eliza, you brought that up last time. What is achieving embodiment goals and what is embodiment and what is embodiment goals? Um... Okay, well, Aaron took a chance to take a really long drink. So <laughs> I guess I'll take it. Uh, yeah, so this is something that I looked into it. It has a fairly recent pedigree, and it definitely showed up at the WPATH conference. Um, and uh, I've been I've been dinged before for not spelling things out. So the World Professional Association for Transgender Health Conference. Um, and basically, the idea is that there's a shift away from a focus on identity as kind of the subject of diagnosis or evaluation in kind of a gender clinic encounter. And that instead the clinician is supposed to focus on what the patient, like what hormones and surgeries they want. So how does the patient want to present their gender? How does the patient want to appear to the rest of the world? And that is the focus of that like clinical encounter okay. as opposed so to any evaluation of like, would this help or why do you feel this way or Okay. And so this is specifically, Aaron's in a psychological, Yeah, this is the, the, they're dealing with the psyche, it's talk therapy, and rather than deferring to identity, questioning identity, it's all about affirming not just identity, but embodiment goals. So embodiment mm -hmm. goals is inherently, explicitly medicalization <laughs> and, and intervention. It's manipulating the physical form to present some way. So it's cosmetic. Mm-hmm. It's, in, it's inherently cosmetic. It's interesting that you, you frame it that way because I almost hear it like they're they're actually relinquishing a lot of responsibility. Um, it, it's like a way to, um, you know, that if, if you're helping somebody achieve their embodiment goals, there's no kind of like defining, you know, is this person like... Why? Right, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's like whatever somebody wants to, it's like, okay, why do I want to wear a red shirt? Who cares? That's why I want to wear a red shirt, you know? And so it's like, how do I help Aaron get a red shirt? You know, like, it's very, <laughs> like, it, it, it's so, it, it, it's just really removing any sort of, yeah, any, any sort of clinical guard, any responsibility on the provider's end is my, yeah, uh, yeah, is, but totally. yeah. to be really explicit, 
um, what we're talking about is something with the, the material cost of a diamond or a diamond necklace. It's not just like, it costs a lot more to buy a, a diamond necklace than a red shirt. It costs a lot more <laughs> to embody a female form as a male. Yeah. Like this oh, yeah. is re really expensive. Yeah. I just yeah. want to turn up that metaphor. Yeah. Like this is like, yeah. 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 And I think Aaron is totally right to draw attention to that, like shifting of responsibility because the clinician really does just become the facilitator who enables the realization of the patient's goals. And especially at WPAC, uh -huh. there was a lot of acknowledge acknowledgement, like embodiment goals was a way to deal with the possibility of what we might call regret or detransition yeah. or medical harm, where it would be like, you know, embodiment goals, you can ask a patient what their goals are right now, uh -huh. and that's what you have to go on, and embodiment goals can change over time, and that's not uh -huh. a problem. Okay. Uh -huh. Excellent. Yeah, and that 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 came up. So they, they answered my question. It took a long time to answer the question. It was very winding how they how they responded. Oh yeah, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. That we'll oh. come back to embodiment goals. Like mm -hmm. let's just go through and we're gonna. I'm I'm sorry to like really just drill drill down into the language. It's really important to do, and it's also really fun and interesting. Yeah, no, so that was one answer. We'll get back to embodiment goals. I yeah. promise. And, and and they go on like. Um, Basically, there was a lot of weaving. Most of, it, most of it was just kind of what you'd expect, kind of, uh, you know, TRA speak, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. They were... Um, I'm, I'm, cause it, cause so, footing on steroids. Entirely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, it was... It was yeah. So it's a, it's not a provider's job to oh and and then that's another thing is they kept weaving in between. Are they coming at this from? Are they are they speaking? in the perspective of the psychologist or the person giving guidelines to prospective psychologists, or are they speaking as the patient? Because these people mm -hmm. are, they are activists. Yeah, I think, I think so. So as it, in part of answering this question that they start going is like, you can't tell me what my gender is. I can only tell you what my gender is. And you, you believe me, you believe me when I tell you what my gender is. And this is the, the, uh, you know, representative of the mm -hmm. APA answering as an author of these guidelines but really as an activist obviously like yeah. as an activist and as a patient as a patient yeah, yeah. and then they also went back to to ultimately say that they are a retransitioner so this person transitioned detransitioned and then retransitioned and mm -hmm. so i think that also informs a lot of what you were saying uh, uh eliza about the the you know what are we actually diagnosing? What are we actually treating? Mm -hmm. What is this embodiment? Like, how do we deal with regret? How do we, who takes responsibility for that regret? Like, it's all so, mm -hmm. uh, it's just a, a yeah, a, 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 an entire mess. But another, so that's, yeah. that's one of the respondents, uh, one of the, again, task force uh, authors there. Another one who was like the binary, let's say, trans man responded saying that, um, and we've got all this recorded. Somebody I attended recorded the entire thing, and we are uh, going to be releasing uh, a kind of not only audio, but kind of a commentary on the audio on future okay. uh, transparency episodes. And mm -hmm. I want to especially uh, kind of transcribe those 19 working guidelines so that people can actually read them and think about them for themselves because, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. But um, the, mm -hmm. the one of the responders, again, like kind of binary trans trans man was saying that, um, you know, when we talk about regret, and obviously this is all in the news lately and whatnot, but when we talk about regret, you know, you don't hear this kind of talk in in relation to other uh, medical interventions. We only talk about regret and harm and, you know, uh, 
basically, I can't remember exactly how they phrase this, but in, in the context of, of trans care. And they essentially called me, he essentially called me a transphobe. He, he said, like, the only reason that you would be, that, that people are concerned like this or that you would phrase the question that way is on the assumption that being cis is better than being trans. And that's rooted in fear of transness and therefore okay. transphobia. So I guess technically speaking, there's no um, outpatient sur surveys for the regret of having a heart splint or a double bypass in your heart. People, I guess like the medical community doesn't care about regret if, if they fixed your heart, right? So, you know, why is it this one medical procedure that regret falls down to? Because like nobody, nobody regrets getting like, you know, their leg reset when it's broken, right? I mean, what does that say about the question or the framing? Like what other, what, is, what else would they be thinking of? Like what I, other they procedure? Usually, they usually reference knee replacements. Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> yeah, seriously, I was going to ask you if they did. Because I don't, so I don't know. I don't think they brought it up specifically, but I just kind of, I kind of knew, like, I've just heard it all, you know, so many times. But okay, why usually, knee replacements? I, I think because... Do people have regret about that? I, 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 you know, Lizzie, you might know better, but I think it's because people can be functional with, uh, with their mm -hmm. original, you know, fucked up knee, and then they go in and get it replaced. And sometimes, basically, it's not worth the, the, the pain and yeah. agony of the recovery. And I, th I think that's why they default to the, yeah, but I'm, that's just yeah. kind of, yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So is it is it um, fair to say that knee replacement is one area of medical intervention where we do see regret appearing in yeah, similar... Yeah, I think it falls into that proportion. strange, like, kind of semi-elective territory and that there are some questions about the efficacy of the main... I don't know if it's knee replacement or knee... There's some questions about the efficacy of the surgery to improve it or whether okay. other things could have improved just as well. So it's in this kind of weird category rather than like, we stopped you from having a heart attack. Right, to, right. To cure your cancer. Yeah. 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 And also the, but the, so, asso the association though, it just makes no, no sense whatsoever. It's like such a forced comparison. It's like, we're talking about um, insecure teenagers. I, I don't, I don't know. Right. And yeah, failing yeah. Uh, boomers. Uh, Crumbling. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Eliza, you bring up something uh, important. Mm -hmm. So there's an elective aspect to knee surgery and to this transition interventions, right? I guess so, that's being so acknowledged on gray... some level, right? Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. Which they probably, which the the gender clinicians would probably deny if it were made explicit, because mm -hmm. it's not elective; it's life saving. Right. Yeah. yeah. But there's still yeah. an insecurity. So these questions, Aaron, your question elicits an insecurity. Oh, yeah, big time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and another, another response was that kind of expecting psychologists to be able to determine if somebody is trans or not is basically expecting them to have like 
godlike omnipotence in order to see into somebody's, you know, inner yeah. self in a way no one really can. So basically, why why would we try? Because you know, it's yeah, you you can't expect somebody to know that about somebody else. Therefore, you just believe them. But is, they'll sign up. They'll sign off on something that they don't know. So they can't be certain, but they should be certain. Yeah, yeah. They should default to a affirmative certainty, even yes. though they can't be certain. Right, right. Because it's the like, person yeah. knows their gender. You know, they know their gender better than better than you do. You know, so you just do what the person says they need. And that was, that was another thing that, that they literally said was, the patient knows what's best for them. Or the patient always knows what's best for them. Is it's very, very much the customer's always right. Oh yeah, sort totally. of mentality. Customer like, knows best. Customer yeah, knows okay. right. yeah, yeah. There's no clinical mm. responsibility at all. It's just, you know. Yeah. 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 This is. I mean, that really shows the kind of heist that's going on here, where we move from like medical responsibility to evaluate a patient and be like, are they going to benefit from this transit, like this procedure? What are the outcomes going to be and a responsibility to keep track of that to like a pure patient autonomy or really like customer autonomy work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that also is why it kind of bothers me to talk about uh, uh, clinicians, doctors, uh, uh, psychologists as providers. That uh, mm -hmm. uh, that, start, that started to grate on me. Uh, like, and, yeah, and they don't talk so about patients. They talk about clients, right? So providers and clients. I don't know. I, I want to kind of go back to the drawing board on all of that because it does very much seem like um, – yeah, just just a branding to to remove any sort of you know responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the same kind of language that we see with like prostitution and surrogacy and all of these other yeah things yeah. that are kind of marching forward and locked up. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's like you're on you're on the frontier and you you need a coat, so you go to the provisioner and he gives you this <laughs> new coat. Like it's very it's very market. Yep. It's very market. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And by, by people who are largely uh, very anti-capitalist, they're very much embracing capitalism and uh, with no guardrails. Making lots of money, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. And a yeah. like a provider isn't an evaluator or, you know, like a yeah. provider, you ask for something, they give it to you. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's, you know, it's more be a more honest name than a doctor, but. Yeah. 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 And go, just one more thing on this, and you guys might, might want to, uh, we might have to dig in further but when you're talking about evaluating yeah. it used to be the case that with evaluations if, when they were really honest what they were evaluating for was the ability to consent right cognitive ability to consent to these interventions mm -hmm. um but what i learned at uh this latest trans health summit is that discrim or that denying gender affirming care on the basis of and i quote quote intellectual disability Mm -hmm. is discrimination. Mm -hmm. So this is a new a new shocking frontier I realized is that um yeah th that they they want to do away with with yeah it used to be just a, a case of making sure somebody is caught co is cognitively competent to consent not mm -hmm. that you're actually diagnosing any mental health disorder or anything yeah. you're just you're just yeah. you're just confirming that they're mentally able to consent yes. to the interventions and now yes. They're wiping that away. It's like yeah. okay. to, to have to evaluate somebody to be mentally competent is discriminating on the basis of intellectual disability. It is the new... So it's ableist. It's absolutely yeah. ableist. Yeah. 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 So this was totally part of WPATH also. And it was part of the standards of care eight that like it was celebrated at WPATH that they rolled back the well reasonably well-controlled standard for mental health. 
Um, we had Dan Karazic at WPATH talking about how ideally patients wouldn't be actively psychotic, but they can consent to like <laughs> stool softeners. No, seriously. <laughs> no, I'm serious. He totally said that. Like, it's that ridiculous. But and there's just so, it's uh, like at some point, gender medicine just became this like faith challenge where it was like the yeah, more yeah, kind of like yeah. impossible the patient and the more other clinicians would like bulk at you know, putting them forward for surgeries and hormones, like you can demonstrate even greater faith as a clinician yep. yeah. if you like go for it. Yep. You just believe the patient. So they've abdicated responsibility from themselves. And now with this mental health or like this assessment mm -hmm. with cognitive ability, they're abdicating responsibility from the patient too. So nobody is responsible. Well, the patient is responsible. Well, but they're not cognitively able to be responsible. <laughs> Dan Karasik. Or, or is that, am I, am I getting it wrong? So, so they, they yeah. are completely responsible, even if they're not able. So responsibilitism or ableist, responsibilitist doesn't. It's coming. Right? I, um, I, it, uh, it's tricky, right, Aaron? It's like, what exactly? It's like, you, it's, it's more like you're not competent to assess whether your patient can consent and what their gender goals are rooted in, then it is like, okay, the patient isn't able and isn't responsible. It's more like you shouldn't gatekeep any yeah. patients. And what I really wanted to hear more, Erin, um, you were talking about a session also with Dan Karazic and Diane Aronsoft, where they were talking about um, severely autistic, like nonverbal kids. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Oh, no. okay. Yeah, set, set it up for me in the audience. Yes, yeah, so this was a Friday afternoon, um, I, shortly after I, I I got there, and so yeah, we have Dan Karasik, who I later learned was the lead author of WPATH Standards of Care, uh, eight mental health chapter. So he's a lead lead author of the mental health chapter, and he was giving this presentation on co-occurring uh, mental health uh, issues and. Uh, gender diversity, and um, and again, this this is always in the context of minors. If it's an adult, don't who cares? You just you know give them right. what they what they want. Uh, but the, but the only and when we're talking about assessment and consent and everything, it's only in the context of children is what I learned uh, over the. Uh, actually, kind of reflecting mm -hmm. and listening, re-listening to the audio. It's like this is always about children and not yeah. We're not even consent. Talking about ch yeah, Ch yeah, yeah. children. Or so they suppose that children can give consent or can't give consent. Oh, oh, absolutely! But we have to talk about in this case, non-verbal, severely autistic children. How do we extract a consent? How yeah. do we extract well, consent? They, they didn't say extract. I know, consent, I know. But, but essentially, yeah, yeah. It's like we're. But they did say non-verbal, severely autistic children. So we're so. Um, they were basically saying who would be putting those children in a gender clinic. This is also my question That's because a it, question. in a lot, in a lot of the, the, the anecdotes, he was specifically and explicitly talking about how do we, how do you basically circumvent the parent who doesn't want the child to transition? How do you mm -hmm. reinterpret these nonverbal cues the parent is interpreting as not to do with gender but dan and every other you know gifted trans uh, psychologist know is about 
gender and this child's so, gender diversity. Like, so they are God when they are yeah, transitioning yeah, people. Yeah, it, it always changes based, based on the circumstances. So they'll say like when, when critiquing any concept of rapid onset gender dysphoria, because you know, that's always, it's told from the perspective of the parent's interpretation mm -hmm. of their child's history and behavior and whatnot. And it's like, that's obviously bullshit because the parent doesn't know shit. They're just transphobic. And, you know, so like you have to talk to the actual trans child. But in the sometimes in the context of an autistic, nonverbal child, and if the parent is supportive of transition, then the parent absolutely knows best. Nobody knows this patient better than the parent Who's if the with them all the time. Right. If the parent yeah. is affirming, if the, yeah, then the parent knows best. But, but how are the gender specialist doctors transitioning medical professionals getting their hands on nonverbal autistic children? How do they end up with these patients? That I don't Who know. Who refers them? That, that I, yeah, that's a very good people. question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, I, yeah, I, I should have, I was, yeah. I'm curious okay. how that happened because we were in a situation, I, I think could just be a case of the parent, you know, this, this child has somehow expressed, you know, uh, picked up a, this, a doll uh, and carried yeah, it around be. for two hours. Because, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the examples was again of, of a parent, and so, yeah, I don't know how to. I, I don't know what the answer to that is, I, other than I think there might be some cues that the child. Well, I, I don't know. I don't really know. What, what's I, this anecdote? One, yeah. So, so Dan Karasik was saying that a lot of these parents will uh, misinterpret the child's um, gender distress as just another. Um, uh, obsessive fixation that's typical of autistic patients and everybody mm -hmm. laughs like of course it's not gender is entirely something else yeah. it's nothing like that um so one example he gave was this um this parent was saying you know when my kid was 12 years old they only wanted to dress like justin bieber you know they, because they were obsessed with justin bieber it was one of those those you know autistic obsessions and dan saying oh no no this is completely different the child wanted to dress like justin bieber because justin bieber's style of dress is androgynous that's that's the child telling you that they're trans this is all recorded. Transgeny. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was there any in that session? Was there any hint of pushback from the panel or the questioners? No. No. I no, 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 no. None. Yeah. No. Yeah. So there was laughter. Like, was there even? Could you? Could you see anybody? Like having any sort of physiological reaction at all? The one person who I was with who was recording, yeah, and, and the person who was sitting next to me. Um, they, so I, I met up with some some uh, uh, Sagam clinicians, Society for Evidence Based Gender Medicine. Uh, uh, they were there, <laughs> but apparently uh, one of them uh, uh, she kept looking back at me, and I was completely stone faced, cool, just another member of the audience. So I don't know how many other people were in there eliciting the same, just being like, "Be cool." It's like this is totally normal. Just just hearing this. Um, where I where I failed in my stone facedness was I didn't laugh at the appropriate times when they talk about how Rajdi is bullshit. I was, <laughs> of course, it is. I didn't I didn't manage to to keep up like that but um but no it, it was very much the 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 audience participation was in in complete lockstep and agreement um throughout uh, every single seminar and that you you attended yes so yes. it's all affirmative all the time yes. I mean, well i mean okay. a lot of people were most people were just quiet members of the audience right i don't know yeah. i wasn't like observing yeah. everybody but um one of the people who who asked and i'm sure eliza you remember this from listening to the recording was a um 
uh, yeah, uh, some some sort of mental health clinician who basically said, you know, I, I've had this patient, the nonverbal autistic child, and when I complete the assessment, you know, often with, with the assistance of the parent, um, you know, how do how, basically higher ups are saying this is not sufficient. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do we, what do we do in order to get, um, you know, kind of sign off from from the higher ups uh, uh, in in our in our office. And this is where Diane Ehrensaft uh, chimed in and uh, basically was saying how um, basically those assessments are um, they're they're uh, they don't account for neurodivergence. They're very neurotypical. And, you know, we know that there are other ways of knowing. And that's when they got into the drawing your gender uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she basically said, you know, there's other ways of knowing and for example some of these nonverbal autistic kids are very gifted drawers and that's when dan karasik wrapped it back to to the anecdote he was telling about his patient he's like yeah this 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 patient in particular was um she 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 definitely preferred drawing over writing or talking um so yeah do you have a piece of paper aaron (laughs) can you can we all draw our gender and put it on the screen yeah (laughs) what do you have eliza (laughs) those boobs (laughs) <laughs> oh no, Cartman! <laughs> okay, can't see that. Aaron? Oh, excellent! You want to you you non-binary? Uh, you you uh, can't yeah, put it yeah. down on there. Okay, that's fine. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, drawing your gender. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wasn't were there were there like guidelines? Drawing gender and drawing consent. Well, they, basically, Diane Aaron Sept was saying that that th- those who needed the consent, those in the office who are basically responsible for for yeah. signing off, uh, they should be they should be accepting drawings of gender as, you know, okay. in lieu of the written consent that this patient was incapable of of providing. Hmm. Yeah. So if I drew a, if I drew a picture of like Giga Chad. Like the meme, like that guy, that chiseled man, yeah. and yeah. I presented it. This is my embodiment goal. Would yeah. my insurance company be lo- like obligated to fulfill my embodiment goal? That's that's where we get to the the issue of it. Is right? Is it's it's uh, it's insurance, which I, I pers- like. There's why is insurance covering any of this if we're talking about it in this framework? But we yes, according to according to the logic of yeah of 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 the framework, then yes, you should. Yeah, be able to present the Giga Chad meme, and that's entirely valid, and that's their job to help you achieve those embodiment goals and to affirm your gender. Yeah. So. I actually really want to be a Giga Chad too. <laughs> Do you? Eliza <laughs> <laughs> <Liza> Chad. <laughs> My true self. It's really buried, yeah. very, very, very deep, unusually that's deep very... inside. Yeah. I feel it sometimes. Uh, like, yeah. When your chin sticks out in certain moments. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Uh, so we should also mention for the benefit of people who don't know about Diane Aronsoft, in which case you're very lucky. Um, she has, so she had a long, nope, oh, sorry. She disappeared. It could be a giga chat for all we know. Oh, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> come back in my new and improved form. Um, we, uh, so she, has had a couple of stops and starts in her career in kind of child and adolescent psychiatry. She really got going with the satanic panic in the nineties. Oh, so she's been around for a while. She's been around for a while and she's come back with her theories about, you know, trans trans children. And like, she's not, it's not, you know, she's pretty equal opportunity. It's not just severely autistic 
nonverbal patients, but like pre-verbal infants and they can send gender messages by like pulling out barrettes or like unbuttoning your onesie so that it looks like a dress. Mm -hmm. So can, can, do, you, do you know a little bit to fill in a backstory? Like what was her involvement with the satanic oh, panic? And just for anybody who knows, uh, the satanic panic was like a, a rash of psychological fervor around repressed mm -hmm. memories. A bunch of kids were being abducted and that bled into multiple personality disorder. That was a fad as well. So she was kind of related to that or involved in that? or had a She was definitely part of the very irresponsible hype around I, I think it, she was with the presidio but the preschool in the presidio in san francisco and of course there was never the least bit of evidence found for these kinds of but but back in the 80s and 90s she was involved in something having to do with children and now she's back again probably what, 15 years ago again. she emerged yeah, yeah she's around back children a, yeah does she have any children do we know she has children okay all right. But she's really concerned about fixing kids. She's really concerned about intercepting and maybe shaping unusual communications from children. Okay. Yeah, it, it does seem to be very much uh, about like kind of like knowing things that cannot be known sort yes. of the thing. Like uh, crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Like well, I, the again like the um that psychologist or from the 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 APA task force was basically saying being able to diagnose somebody as being trans is you know basically assuming a sort of godlike omnipotence it's like yeah. i feel like Diane Aronsaft really kind of thinks that of herself like that she has this this ability to know things that you can't know yeah. um I, I don't know i don't know it's, paired with absolutely zero common sense like no yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's really quite <laughs> this, the the, the entire so every session seemed to be just kind of layered with one contradiction after another like there was no there was no mm. logical consistency to any of it as you as you can imagine i mean you know you so how did they make sense then through stories and anecdotes and assertions like how do you how do you make something so contradictory cohere no they don't make it cohere it's like it it, it changes every the faith is supposed to fill in the gaps benjamin the, exactly exactly the faith fills in all the gaps um at one point Diane Aronseth is telling this story about a um, nine-year-old trans girl who was a patient of hers who had an older sister who uh, was going through puberty or just started puberty. And Diane Aronseth asked this child, this nine-year-old boy, um, basically, are you envious of your sister going through puberty and like starting menstruation and growing breasts and yada, yada, which doesn't seem like an appropriate thing for a child psychologist to pose to a nine-year-old, but that I don't know much about child psychology, so could be but i doubt it but anyway so that's what she posts like she tells the story like that she's talking asking this nine-year-old little boy this and the child's response is basically like no that's gross i'm so glad that i don't you know bleed or whatever and it, like she's telling the story in this very you know dramatic mm -hmm. kind of like blah 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 like she is a nine-year-old sort of way um <laughs> and she finishes it with going and that is gender euphoria not bleeding Right, right. Being glad that you don't have the opposite sex um, reproductive anatomy oh. is gender oh, so euphoria. This is... Okay. No, but but yeah. that doesn't that doesn't mean the kid isn't trans. That just means obviously this is a trans girl who's gender euphoric about having male genitalia. See, see. <laughs> 
and, 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 the, and the entire audience is like, yeah, trans joy, oh. trans joy. Okay. She also is the one who introduced the concept of like the gender Prius, the gender Taurus, the gender smoothie, the gender Oreo. The gender pop tart, where like if if is oh, this she, the no, one? she's she's oh, not okay. the gender pop tart. There okay. are a lot of bad analogies going around. What's but... the gender Prius? Is that like a hybrid? Yeah, it's it's like when you feel like both genders, and the gender Taurus was like when you feel like one gender on the top and another one on the bottom. Which my dad drives a Taurus, so that doesn't really make any sense to me. But <laughs> oh, maybe maybe it's got like uh... a depth that you're not ready to plume. <laughs> 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 Thanks. Uh, yeah, she she has the uh, the gender web. She's like, it's not a spectrum. It's yeah. it's a web. You know, it all feeds in. It, yeah. yeah. Have you spoken? Have either of you spoken with her or like, no. like interacted with her? Okay. Not I'm wondering not, like not what yet. she's like as a human. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe someday. Um, she also has the concept of the proto transgender child, which is, as she says, usually a child who was assigned female at birth who comes out as a lesbian, but then realizes that like being a lesbian was just a stepping stone to realizing that this kid was really a man. Okay. Right on. So she's, she's definitely part of the trans mass transing of lesbians and seeing absolutely no problem with it whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. Aaron, I want to get a little, uh, identitarian with you. Mm -hmm. So as a trans man, wh what is your experience specifically of the, conference your own identity um, being spoken about your own choices your own medical choices um, being uh, you know kind of proselytized in a way like to what degree do you is that re repulsive to you offensive to you or does does your identity even mix or get in the mix at all you're just you, who you are and the, the transness that they're talking about is different than your technical status as a trans man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been at this for about six years now, so it's I yeah. don't really come to it like with a like how does this apply to me or how do I relate? I don't like. Yeah. I I use it as like an excuse, you know, like when somebody was like, you know, oh. So when I was filling out the registration, I you know was asking because it's a health conference, right? And so it's asking for mm -hmm. people's like highest attained education or whatever credentials. And so I was like, well, I've got a BA, so I put you know BA in the in the education field. And then that was in gender was studies, though, right? <laughs> in geography. But I wasn't going to put that. But then so so it was printed that my name tag, and then it said B, so it was at Aaron Terrell, and then BA underneath it. And so it was kind of like a nice, it was funny, it was an icebreaker sort of deal when people would like talk to me. But I would you know when when it was seemed like they were asking me what my you know like why are you here sort of thing it was like you know i'm i'm, a, I'm tr you know i'm a trans man i'm a member of the trans community like so mm -hmm. that was hmm. i mean like i i don't really i guess it's yeah. a talking point but it's yeah it doesn't really inform my um it's obviously why i got so i'm i, I became so aware of all of this and why i'm so not so invested um yeah it, it's more like just a just a yeah, uh, an access piece. Yeah, I don't. I don't really. Uh, yeah. It used to be the case that I was offended. You know, many years ago, I was offended by um, what I used to think of was like appropriating transness or whatever. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. bullshit, and I don't. It doesn't bother me anymore. But like, it's. But um, yeah, I, I don't mm -hmm. really think of it in those terms. I guess. Is your identity at all political at this point? I mean, you're doing political work within politi trans politics, but is your identity yourself? 
like mm-hmm. tied up in that or has well, it kind of like over the years have it cha- changed and kind of settled into you are you and this is this no it's not it's not i am me and this is it's very much like it's um uh I, I, it's useful like i feel like i can do and say the things that i'm doing and saying because mm-hmm. i'm trans in a lot yeah, of but ways are you, you learning know? anything about yourself by interacting with trans politics as a trans man no, this I is a really kind of identitarian question i'm just i'm I don't think, I don't think so. I don't really understand the. Well, I mean, is, 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 do you learn more about yourself as a trans man dealing with investigating trans politics in its current manifestation? No. Or your trans manness isn't (laughs) a part of like your consciousness of yourself. It's not like your identity because a lot of people use or think people who are not trans or who are listening to this conversation, who are watching their children transition, their neighbors transition, they're seeing transness as an identity, or as oh. people working through a process of identity. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to see if, if that is even a part of your, if, if transness is a part of yourself, if, it, if it's a, if, or, or is something you left behind, you transitioned and, and you put it behind you. Just okay. for the people who are tuning in, yeah, just for the normies, right? <laughs> I understand. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for me. Um, no, transness is not like I, I kind of cringe at that word actually. But uh, how I look at it is, I'm I'm a female who uh, had gender dysphoria, and that was greatly relieved by transition. So, like, you know, I, I for the most part live and pass as if I were male. I know I'm not male. I'll always mm-hmm. be female, and I, I, I where where I'm at now is I do feel like for a few people for some people medical transition does relieve a psychological whatever it is that gets us to this point that creates gender Mm -hmm. dysphoria and for a lot of people transitioning does relieve that gender dysphoria but i think on the grand scheme of everything the reality or the the um uh that I, i believe that medical transition is doing far more harm than good um, I, I guess I, I, okay, I, I'm, 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 I'm not, I don't mean to corner you, No, no but how would it. you know, how would you know that you are trans, not cis? Like just to pose your question, like, how would you know, how do you know for yourself? So, so I wouldn't know that for myself. Like in the, in the way that I phrase that question is like, we know there are cis people and there are trans people. I don't believe that's true. And I wouldn't know that for myself. I, I know that I am trans because I'm female and and I, you transitioned and I transitioned. Right. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, so, so it's like, for me, trans is a, is a choice that I made. Trans is a choice that some people make, but I don't think that there was anything that there's, that there's any actual like internal essence that separates a trans person from okay. a cis person. I don't believe yeah. that there is such a thing. Um, I think that are, very, are you, are you comfortable with the trade-offs or have there been trade-offs um, with medical transition for you? Yes. And yes. And you've accepted like, so yes. you, you've seen trade-offs with the medical transition and you accept them and uh, like the right. cost benefit for you yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I obviously with, with, you know, the kind of stuff that I've been doing for the last few years, the activism that I've been doing for the last few years, I obviously, and, and just how much I uh, interact and mostly identify with the uh, detransitioners and all of this, um, much more so than, you know, like actively trans people, I much more, much more relate with and identify with the detransitioners. I would never, like for me, transitioning has been a net 
benefit. I'm glad I did it. I don't foresee undoing it because obviously, oftentimes, obviously, I think about it and, and, and not think not like, but like because of what I do and I, like it's it's something that's crossed my mind a lot. Like, what would that look like? What would been and the the, the dysphoria always comes back. It's like I I've transitioning brought me a lot of relief and mm -hmm. a lot of comfort and a lot of just kind of contentment and peace in my body. And, and like, I'm still okay. obviously very much aware that I'm female and very much yeah. like that's, but, and but that, that, that comfort or that uh, releasing of, or relaxing of discomfort is that that's more internal or external. Definitely I'm starting to psychologize. I just, just to oh, yeah. refresh people. So, so yourself, it wasn't so much about you being perceived as female as you perceiving yourself as female. Or, no, or I've I guess always, both. Yeah. Well, so so for me, most of the discomfort was entirely in my body. Um, like the way it moved and the way it appeared. And I'm sorry to get so personal. Oh, no, it's fine. It's like the way the way that it appeared. Um, my voice, uh, my, my, I mean, like what I saw in the mirror always yeah. felt, for lack of a better word, wrong. Like it just didn't, it was always, I don't really know how to explain it other than an, an incredible discomfort and an ill at ease within my skin mostly my chest was the most uh uncomfortable part of my body and um um yeah like transitioning relieved mostly what was what yeah what, what was physically uncomfortable about my body what felt wrong like um for the the external stuff it was more so so like being socially regarded as female was more just an exacerbation of it's like because like I like kind of had this sense of myself as not being what I obviously was like I had a, a sense of being male or should have been male and then when my body reflected something else back at me and when people interacted with me that just sort of highlighted the that dis that this disconnect. Is. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 um, yeah. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to press you, but I know that a lot of people are going to be tuning in who mm -hmm. would be called turfs or who would identify as turfs. So somebody who's very critical, people who are very critical of transition because yeah. they see the, the harm that it's, yeah, that it's causing because it's, it's kind of escaped the containment zone that you put it in. You put it in this containment zone of gender dysphoria, right? And so I want to ask you one more hard question. And it's yeah. no judgment for me. It's do you think that there would have been a, a psychological answer or, or did it have to be physical? Did you have to embody a gender, you know, like, like an engender goal? Or do you think that, that there are, were, would be other paths and just to, just to cause any, any potential trans man who hasn't transitioned yet to really consider their options and to really consider whether or not it's going to be correct for them, because this is not reversible especially with the females, it's really not reversal. It's a really deep choice. So I just, I just would like to hear you like, just, just kind of go through the different options that you had and, and how, you know, and you, you're at peace or you're, you're, you're relieved by this procedure, this intervention. So, so I transitioned in 2012, 2011, 2012 at 27 or 28. Um, okay. I do not know. Like I, I've thought about this a million different ways is if, if I had had kind of the, like the, the, the therapeutic intervention, I hope 
I wished people were having. If I had had that, I don't know if I could have um, like kind of kind of dealt with what with my 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 discomfort with my body. If I could have kind of mm. made peace with yourself as it was right, created. Right. Yeah. 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 If, if I could. Yeah. Just. Yeah, I, I, my where where I get hung up though is if I could have compartmentalized it, which I had, I had all my life. Like I always, I was felt that way, right? But I was able to compartmentalize it and deal with it and live a very functional. Like, never had any real mental health issues. It was just that thing which I could compartmentalize and live a yeah. relatively you know happy life, regardless. Yeah. Um, until until transitioning was an option. It was very obviously and easily an option, and then it could no longer be compartmentalized. And so yeah. I think if I had had really exploratory, um, uh, integrative, like you, where you integrated that, like you were somehow like through a span right. of time. Cause it, I, I know. And, and just to bring up the other side of the equation, which would be the males, specifically the uh, autogynophiles. Like I know that and I've spoken with autogynophiles who, who are self-ascribed, who have a very strong, like just sexual compulsion and, and male sexuality is really intense. I'm just going to put that out in the open. Um, it's not always pretty. It's not always great, but it's really intense. And when somebody has a, a, a sexual a sexuality that wants them to be a woman, like they can compartmentalize that. They can, and, and, and men can even get through that compartmentalizing, but it seems like everybody who manages that sexual orientation ends up containing it somehow, like, like only expressing it in very specific terms. Mm -hmm. Females yep. are different. It sounds like gender dysphoria is not the same. So it's kind of a black box. I don't know anybody who's really described it other than gender dysphoria. It doesn't seem like connected to sexuality or in an erotic way in the same way that, that a male's sexual, uh, um, the autogynophile part is male. So I just, I just wanted to bring that up because the compartmentalization seems like to be a theme and then transition allowed you to kind of take that out of the box and, and relieve this consistent pressure that was always kind of like you, you held it in the back of your mind or it would take over your mind sometimes. Well, okay. So, so I don't, there is that, that kind of a, that, I used to believe that there was a, a very distinct um, a, a difference between male uh, gender dysphoria, which is primarily autogynophilia, and female gender dysphoria, which is much more uh, varied and seems to um, uh, less be sexual. For, for, well, well, it's, 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 like, sexual. it's like not wanting to be the body, where, right, whereas the male wants to be a body. Right, like a fear yes. of being a woman versus uh, yeah. a desire to be a woman, uh, sort of thing. Um, I've recently real, and this is this is a whole other sidetrack, but you brought us on it, Benjamin. So, so take responsibility. And thank you, Eliza. Thank, <laughs> thank you, for, thank you, Aaron, for for going here. I think this is really important. I, I think it's important to like bring the lived experience into the conversation to really sure, fill sure. out. What well, we're no, but at. what I think and where I, it's going I, wrong. Yeah, I think, I I think. That that there is a female equivalent of autogynophilia, but I think it's it's not as sexual, obviously, because female sexuality isn't as sexual, um, but or as or as overtly sexual. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's less like right, and but, it seems yeah, more broad. That's I guess, yeah, more, no, that's that's there's a different vibe. Very much the best way to describe it. I, I would say one's much more sentimental and abstract, and the other one is much much more targeted and compulsive. Um, uh, but, 
but no, what I've, I've kind of recently kind of figured out is that, that I am auto-androphilic. And that okay. it's not going to be like a sexual, it's not going to look like sexuality. It never really felt like sexuality other than an inability to d- distinguish between who I was attracted to and who I wanted to be. Um, oh, yeah, yes. Right. And so so it's yeah. not like I'm not turned on by the idea of having a male body, but I very much always felt like I needed to be that which I was attracted to. Huh. Um, and then post-transitioning, I no longer was attracted to men. And so that way it's even more less yeah. uh, identifiable as as the uh, female equivalent of autogynophilia. But going back to what you were saying is I think that's why – it's not something that be, can, can be therapized out of. Like, it's not something, like, I was kind of like, huh, I don't know how to, but because, like, it's not so something. So it approaches an orientation rather right. than a paraphilia or a fetish, which I guess they're all orientation. Uh, yeah. I don't like all those different words. They all mean the same thing. But um, yeah, it's less like a, a, a tick or an insecurity that you're projecting into gender. So there's a lot of, with with, with what we're talking about with the ROG kids right. or, or the autistic kids, what we're seeing with the medical establishment doing is taking all this diffuse distress and channeling it into gender and channeling it into gender and then sexuality. There's always a component. There's, there's other, uh, before it became popular, there were people who whose distress was actually gender and it wasn't like right. everything wasn't gender. So right. what you're saying is like sexuality and gender were tied up right. in, in this thing that you had to, comp- this discomfort that you had to compartmentalize and then were able to embody. Right. Right. And so even, even if I, even if I had like, again, found tools and the ability to continue to compartmentalize it, I think if, you know, if I had done so in 2011, 2012, whatever, you know, and then we got mm-hmm. to this point where gender is absolutely everywhere. And I'm seeing all of these females doing what I always wished I could. It's like, I, it couldn't, I could not have continued to compartmentalize it. It's like, once I realized that it was something I could do, that's when I could no longer compartmentalize it. And so again, even if I had had the therapy to, to again, figure out the tools to continue to compartmentalize. Anyway, that's, that's why I think it's, it's and exactly what you were saying, Benjamin, is, is we're talking about very different things that are all being channeled into this one solution and yeah. for a, I don't think that I, I'm not saying that I think transition is always the answer to auto androphilia or autogynophilia no but I'm saying mm-hmm. what we're talking when when we need to when we're talking about solutions we need to realize that somebody's insecurity or somebody's um, internalized homophobia or somebody's uh, anxiety depression you know when we're saying that these are all you know when it's all being put into what I call the, the black hole that is gender dysphoria. It's like, it's not going to all have the same uh, mm. outcome. And I think for the vast majority of people who are being, who are, who are seeking uh, uh, transition, it's, it's, it's something that could very much be um, dealt with, with other very variety of means, right. especially children. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Eliza, I, I totally focused on my other guest. It's um, okay. But you, you're, you're, uh, so I was I just totally wanna... focusing on your other guest too. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. I want to open the floor. I... Yes. I'll step back from grilling Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, for letting me grill you. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, talked too much. I asked too many questions. Eliza, you're in control now. I hand the bus to you. Where do you want to go? <laughs> uh, that's a lot of control. Um, okay. Uh, well, I think Aaron and I kind of had 
So Erin was at the Trans Health Summit. I was at the European Professional Association for Transgender Health Summit about a week before that. And in Killarney during in Killarney. the GenSpec conference. So you during and Wesley Yang and Corinna Cohn and a couple others. And Lisa from and Lisa Selendevis. So there was a GenSpec conference and an EPATH conference. And EPATH is the European Transgender Health Organization. They're yeah. they held intentionally at the same time. And you and a couple other people were kind of going back and forth and seeing the two different sides of things. And mm -hmm. I haven't been able to get you to talk about this. So I'm really honored to have you tell the story. So what was that like? Know. Well, what was it like to be in the, what, what's the difference between those two conferences? Like, like the vibe, like just like the human on the human level. Like how did it feel like going from one conference, ePath to Genspect? Yeah. Um, so on a purely selfish level, it was very interesting to go from one conference where I was very much hoping that nobody would recognize me to another conference where it was really, really nice to be recognized and get a lot of hugs and meet people that I had mostly only heard about online. Including you, by the way. It was really nice yeah. to meet you in real life. Great. Yeah. Um, and Aaron, I oh, wish you had been there too. I should, yeah, I, I wished as well. That would have been awesome. Oh, Denver what? in November. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, I will be there. I will definitely okay. be there. Yep, yep. Wait, why didn't you, why get did you, you on go a panel. to the EPath? Why did I? No, no, why didn't Benjamin? Um, I see. see like, to me, like Epath, that holds so much more. I mean, obviously, I would love to go. Like, I'm going to be at the Genspect one, but like the whole <laughs> preaching to the choir thing. Maybe I'm too much of a contrarian, but I'm like, yeah. ah, yeah, I know you guys. We all we all know this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we should go. To, we should go to US Path together. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, All right. Challenge accepted. I didn't because I'm a very narrow-minded man and I get overloaded <laughs> and by stimulus. And because you didn't realize so just... that they could help you realize your Giga Chad fantasies, but now yes, you'll totally they have that ability yep. in the future. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was a missed opportunity. Okay, on the not selfish <laughs> level, they were really different because the Genspec conference was like, I've never seen so many people cry at a conference. Have crying never seen how so many... like like in, in tears of joy or pain or ecstasy like were, were we experiencing tons of gender euphoria is that what you're saying <laughs> no at genspect yeah no um i mean there were also some tears of joy but it was mostly like i mean like alistair said there were a lot of people there who were there for reasons that they would rather not mm. be there people and who detransitioners parents detransitioners parents yeah um, people who've paid other kinds of costs over gender yeah. stuff. And so it was a very emotional conference really across like the whole slate of human emotions. Um, yeah. Some, so a lot of sadness, a lot of, uh, so some anger, a lot of curiosity, a lot of good fun. Um, and it was just really lovely. And I would say that that atmosphere at EPATH was very strange. Strange. And I don't think that it was just strange to me. Like I kept trying to think like, okay, if I were not a turf and I were not undercover, like how would I <laughs> yeah. feel being at this conference? And I think the answer was that I would feel very conflicted because it kept going back and forth from like this really, you know, like you rah rah team spirit, the kind of stuff that Aaron is talking about at yeah. the at the Affir Affir Summit. Affirmative, we're in war and we're gonna win this war. We're on the right side. Right, of history. we're on the right yeah. side, like everybody's here for the right reason. Yeah. And then on the other side, there was this, and this, what I would say is this really showed how much kind of conditions had deteriorated between the WPATH conference six months ago and EPATH 
in April. Um, like, there was no transgenocide mentioned at WPATH and at EPATH, like, the second address to the entire assembly on the morning that it started was like the gender critical movement is this totalitarian and genocidal movement and there's a transgenocide okay. and the rhetoric's being turned up so so the they're, they're on really war footing up. but the war is against the nazis now rather than just right. a neighboring country right yeah 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 okay. no so i would think i would feel very torn between everything's really great and like everybody's out to genocide us it's kind of difficult and there was also a little bit of an atmosphere of um like when you have a family and something has gone really 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 badly wrong but it's christmas and you're all going to get together and you're definitely not going to talk about it and everybody's going to have like fun you know <laughs> there was a little bit of that so i think in the Could six you... months between yeah continue continue oh, so the six months the six between between those two yeah. conferences like there has been a lot of press coverage across the west of gender i suppose botulism I, I hesitate to call it right i hesitate to call it medicine and yet i don't have like an easy shorthand that everybody understands so we'll yeah. for the moment gender medicine like there's been coverage in the united states which really was not a thing until very very recently there's been some pretty hard coverage within the uk um one fifth of the epath attendees were from the netherlands which is like for the first time this year facing some serious pushback to you know, the Dutch protocol that they inaugurated and that they spread around the world. Um, and so the, it was like all of this stuff had happened. And of course, it contributed to the way that people felt. And nobody really wanted to, like you couldn't completely not acknowledge it, but you would kind of acknowledge it. And then you'd be like, but it doesn't matter. So they would not talk about rapid onset gender dysphoria, but they would talk about, you know, sudden, sudden onset, okay. or, you know, late onset or um these other things and they'd be like some people think that this is a thing and it's like and maybe there has been this demographic shift but it doesn't matter like they're still trans and mm, affirmation is okay. still great and yeah the, and this is really important because uh, well i aaron and well eliza you're american but you're in canada and, yeah. and aaron you're basically american even though you're in canada too but we, we, we're north american <laughs> we're, you're, well, you're, the Europe is doing europe's going in a different direction like Europe has Wait, a different culture. Aaron, you're Canadian in America. No, I'm I'm American in America, but just right on the okay. border. <laughs> okay. Oh, I thought you were in BC. Okay. Everybody thinks I am because of Aaron K. He's Canadian. I'm I'm American. Been here. I'm yeah. so sorry. I'm, okay. Well, right. then we're you all seem Americans. Kind of Canadian. I'm a few blocks from the border, so it checks out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so we're we're American. Like, there's just a cultural difference, and there's yeah. a uh, so I could see how. Europeans would be a little bit more accepting of doubt than Americans. Americans are a little bit more evangelical. We're mm -hmm. actually a lot more evangelical. We're a lot more Protestant. We're a lot more like very just zealots. Yeah. We're, we're zealots mm -hmm. and we don't see that as Americans. Yeah. Europe is a little different. So there's, there's gotta be a, like a little bit more of a, a pushback or like an, a, a, like an openness to pushback. Did you, did you so sense I any difference, I guess, that. culturally between EPATH and, and uh, WPATH, which is world, so but the it main, was still... Yeah. the main cultural difference, and it was not as great as I was expecting, WPATH was, like, very, like Erin is describing, like, very activist-driven. Even if a lot of those activists wear, like, white coats. And EPATH was much more committed to kind of putting on a very professional or, um, as Helen Joyce said, like, 
putting on like a performance of like scienceiness. Um, were they better at pulling that off? They were better. So other than the genocide speech, which was, you know, kind of stepped in it. Yeah. They were better at pulling it off on the whole. Okay. All right. But it wasn't like, it was very interesting. So a lot of the conference was like addressed to the GenSpec conference down the street. Oh. Which was like, so the GenSpec conference was called A Bigger Picture or The Bigger Picture. Um, and EPATH never said the word GenSpec, but they kept saying, we see the bigger picture. And uh, okay. they kept talking about, um, you know, everybody has a right to free speech. And this actually kind of seemed like progress to me because very recently it was, you know. They're acknowledging that there's another point of view. They're acknowledging that there is another point of view. But what the president, what the outgoing president of EPATH said was, we respect everyone's right to free speech, but we choose not to listen to it. It's kind of a remarkable thing for someone who's the head of a you know professional association to say, especially when the speech that they're choosing not to listen to is like, hey, we have all this like mounting evidence of like Challenge. medical harm and regret. Yeah. Want to look at it? And they're like, we choose, we choose not to listen to it. Okay. So that really was like the, the kind of the atmosphere of the talk. And they're acknowledging these other viewpoints, but at the same time, they're comparing them, you know, the president compared them to flat earthers. And he was like, some people think that cancel culture is a thing, but geology departments just don't hi hire flat earthers. And it was like, okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah. 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 And they kept saying, and you know, the science, one of the accusations that GenSpect has leveled is that EPATH kind of thinks that the science is settled and that there's not a serious discussion to be had about the right way to approach gender distress. And this definitely touched a nerve because there was a lot of like, well, obviously we don't think the science is settled. Otherwise, why would we even have a conference? And why would we have, you know, hundreds of abstracts submitted? And why, why, why would we even talk to each other if we didn't think, you know, that there was science that was unsettled? But of course, what they think is unsettled is like, so phalloplasties, like 17 or 18? Good okay. or great? Like, so they're still asking oh. questions. They're still investigating. They're still in dialogue on they, some level. This What was interesting was that they presented research that had at its origin an interesting question. So like psychiatric um, inpatient utilization, like does that go up or down after transition or after different steps? Psychiatric inpatient. Like. It's like, a big word, sorry, I'm stupid. It's like if a patient needs to be taken inpatient at a hospital for psychiatric reasons. Yeah. So like they have a psychotic break or they have like a suicidal ideation or something like that that requires them to be um like hospitalized for psychiatric yeah yeah, yeah. uh so there was a researcher who looked at um whether this kind of like utilization of psychiatric services was positively or negatively affected by um starting puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones unfortunately found that it was kind of negatively affected so, so let's try to put this into like concrete terms. So, yeah. so they're, they're trying to like do a study on a number of different individuals with certain sort of psychiatric proclivities and trying to parse the data, whether puberty blockers forestalls a future admittance. It's, it's more like they track a large group of patients, some who have a prior psychiatric hospitalization history and some of whom don't. And then they follow them 
you know, down the road as they go through transition and see, are they still using psychiatric services? Are they starting? Are they stopping? So I guess the question is whether transition helps mental right. health. Does it help other mental, like other serious mental health challenges? Okay. And to which the evidence was like, no. No. Or there were studies of, um, so before you, before a kid in the, in the NHS started puberty blockers, I think puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones, but I, I'm not 100% sure if it was both. Um, and then six months after they started, like, how were they doing on all of these different, like, mental health scales? And and the answer was, like, worse. <laughs> okay. And so they would ask, they would do research. And they'd look at that. Interesting question. They'd look at the negative. They'd and look they at the non-affirmative. Very negative findings. Okay. That suggest that something might be going wrong. But then the overall takeaways would still be like, oh, this is this really life-saving essential care. And there was a lot of like, as we know, like this is really <laughs> essential care, even though the evidence is a little disappointing. Okay. So that was, was really there, interesting. So there's this refusal any... to like translate the evidence into like, maybe this says something bad about our care model. Okay. Uh, but they presented it. Yep. But there, so the EPATH is presenting things. But mm -hmm. in order to maintain its status as EPATH, it still has to be in line with WPATH and USPATH. So it still has to give lip service to the assumptions of the greater It wasn't lip service. It was like, there was actually, there was a really interesting abstract that Corinna Cohn dug up. And it was, it was literally about how there's this imperative to run ahead of the scientific evidence when it comes to gender transition and that EPATH might feel really nervous about this because they want this, it was called cognitive legitimacy of having the scientific evidence back up what they're doing, but that, that just might not be available. So that really did sum up kind of this approach, which wasn't, it wasn't They want service. evidence. They want evidence. Right now but the evidence lack of is evidence. disappointing. Okay. All right. But that so doesn't keep on call anything into question. Okay. It's like in the future, the evidence will vindicate us, but it's, you know, it might be further down the road than we wanted. Okay. Yeah. Did you, was there like a, like an overarching sense of like, like I asked Aaron with the, the San Francisco uh, conference, mm -hmm. was like, were they going to publish something, produce something, or was it more a meet and greet and share, catch up? Like, like um, what was the purpose? I think a lot of that research will be published. Okay. Yeah. But I think, I mean, my sense is that it, they will be very careful not to conclude anything from so, discouraging evidence. But we know that Nordic countries and a few other countries in Europe um, mm -hmm. are changing tact. Their national health organizations are changing tact on gender. What yeah. do they have to say about that? Not just Genspec down the street, but yeah. that. Because the, 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 the writing's on the wall in some respect. Did they look away from it in a noticeable way or like? justify it or confront that i mean they really talked about it as a challenge that needed to be overcome and not a direction of travel okay so this was particularly obvious um with there were a lot of people there from the gender identity development services in the uk which has faced like an inadequate service rating that is being you know, kids yeah that is being disbanded and kind of you know reorganized because it wasn't found to be safe for their patients yeah. Like, this is a pretty serious reckoning 
but they didn't treat it like a reckoning. They treated it like we're under attack. Okay. Mm -hmm. But we'll push back and like, we're going to hang in there with, um, through the reforms and we'll, you know, we'll reinstate the care model that we all know works. Like that okay. was very much the atmosphere. Did you get a sense of their battle plan? Like how they're going to go and go forth and challenge or change or adapt to their environment? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just there was a lot of talk about aligning with, um, there was a lot of talk about like this global anti-gender movement that was also, of course, described as being racist and fascist and xenophobic oh, yeah, and ableist yeah, yeah. and misogynist and homophobic and, you know, all of these other things. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of talk about aligning with other causes like racial justice and women's rights, ironically, and like all of these other really? causes to push back broadly. Okay. So th th they saw an intersectional playbook as their way out. Yeah. The intersectional playbook, like tying themselves to more popular causes and this like forced teaming where there really isn't hmm. like, it, it sounds yeah. like you remember um, uh, uh, Marcy Bowers. So the she's the president yeah. of uh, W. She's the transitioner of Jazz Jennings. Uh, yes, yeah, she's a yeah, she's a brilliant that too. yeah, yeah, big time uh, gender uh, yeah uh, yeah she, medicine gender gender woman. gender surgeon. Yeah, she's a surgeon, yeah. I think. Anyway, um, but that the, the that statement that she released about. I'm not sure if that was, yeah. before. I think that was probably it before, was before, before. Yeah. It sounds very much in lockstep with exactly what she was saying is like yeah. all, all of this, all these attacks on trans medicine are an attack on, um, you know, uh, black people on and immigrants, uh, and, and, immigrants and, and yeah, gay, the gay rights movement. Immigrants? And, and yes, and even, yeah. and um, uh, what was it? Uh, Muslims and true Christians. And she was just, uh, are people? It was a very like, grab bag of anybody. Are people flooding yeah. into America for gender surgery? Is that why we have oh, a, no, 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 a no, that's migration? No, 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 that's not what it's about. It's it's Congress? like right. it's any marginalized community. Things are good. Then you must be on our side, because okay. everybody who's against us is part of this totalitarian genocidal movement. Yeah, exactly. And that's also the way that they kind of help the attendees to manage the cognitive dissonance that has been surely stirred up over the last year. Where they're like, okay, if you're listening to these critiques of us, you're kind of like you're listening to fascists. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, any time that there's any sort of criticism of, or any time people like when I when I you know engage with the, the stuff that I say, and I'm sure Eliza, you get this as well. Is like any time that you that you you're like they that they think maybe. Oh shit! Maybe you're onto something. The response is that mm -hmm. is turf rhetoric. It's turf rhetoric. That's yeah. the that's the automatic response to anything that's going like, oh shit! Maybe maybe, maybe there is maybe they have a point. Right, but they don't because it's turf rhetoric. And it's right. the if same thing as like black, you're the target. Exactly. Yep. But it, it sounds like Eliza that there was a little bit more room, or at least they were trying to adapt their message to to doubters or skeptics in their community, so they're aware they... of skepticism. And trying to play it out. But it seems like what happened at WPATH and then what Aaron's talking about, like there's no, like they don't even acknowledge that there's any legitimacy think, to even addressing these questions. So EPATH seems to like start to I think worry. EPATH felt the need to reassure okay. people who might be having some bad feelings stirred up. All right. What was the, what was the particularly juicy thing like uh, up there with the, the psychosis apps that we talked oh, about yeah. last time. Was there any? Uh... I mean, there was really 
nothing on that level. Really? So, so it was even no, toned it, down I mean, on that level. It had a much more level. convincing appearance, appearance of, you know, being responsible and grown up. Okay. So what, what it was, was really there... just an appearance, but, you know, it was much, much better. Was, was there like a... Like like something similar to what Aaron was bringing about up about uh, like screening. Like, did mm-hmm. they talk about like how do we not trans people who aren't trans? And no, so they're not ready to make that distinction. No, and I mean, some of the things that I had noticed at WPATH had become much more entrenched by the time WPATH came around. So that would be something like we were talking about the shift to embodiment goals. What I think yeah. is very related, which is um, the focus, the shift in focus from gender dysphoria to gender incongruence. And I have a theory about why they would want to shift that way, especially okay. as the could evidence you... starts to come in. Okay, so can, can you define those terms, like the difference between yeah. gender dysphoria and gender so non-congruence? Gender, I mean, dysphoria is about distress. Like, it's about... You have these, the dizziness like, when you look in the mirror. Yeah, it's it's about like a negative emotion, negative mental health connected to gender. Gender incongruence is about my embodiment goals and my the way that I look when I look in the mirror don't line up. Okay, so now, identifying little different little problems and taking care yeah. of like like my voice is too low. I want right. a little bit higher, and so this gives rooms for non-binary identities. It, it gives a lot of room for non-binary identities, and that's definitely part of it. I think it definitely has some kind of transhumanism on ramp going on, but I think the main function that it serves is that if you can shift the focus from gender dysphoria to gender incongruence, you can minimize the bad mental health outcomes of transition. Because if I treat your gender dysphoria and you are still depressed and anxious and suicidal and being hospitalized for, you know, psychiatric reasons, it sounds like what I did didn't work. But if I treat your gender incongruence and you're still depressed and anxious and suicidal and all of the other things, like I wasn't treating that. I wasn't treating you on a mental health level. I was treating you on the level of like you had these embodiment goals. We realized them for good. And as, you know, as someone who is presenting like very negative mental health findings said, like it would be really great if the treatments for gender dysphoria improved mental health generally. But just because it doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not a good treatment for gender dysphoria. Okay. Gender <sighs> incongruence makes that work much better. Is I'm that really like... curious, Erin, like, what you think about that. Yeah. And, and I just want to bring it back to insurance. Like, why would insurance mm-hmm. pay for something that's not life-saving anymore? Because it sounds like they're backing away from the life-saving thing. Uh, they're, no, to... they're not. No? They're okay. not backing away from that. Right. Even right. when the evidence suggests that it's not life Like, the Dutch clinicians presented the 17-year follow-up of um, young people who they called trans-autistic patients. And they didn't, they had a high loss to follow-up. Um, among the kids, young people who did respond, and they're now, you know, in their 30s, um, two of them had detransitioned. One of them had not detransitioned, but had very, very serious regrets about undergoing a vaginoplasty. And two of them had passed away. And that's the way that they put it. And I mean, those presenters, they spent, you know, they talked about how life-saving this care was. They talked about how all of their trans autistic patients were on this unique gender journey including presumably the ones who detransitioned on a unique gender journey. And the one who had regrets was also on a unique gender journey. 
And like they spent more time talking about how much one of the presenters loved stuffed animals. Then they spent talking about the two patients who at the very end, they reveal like these patients died as a result of suicide. This was a 6% mortality rate within a 30 patient study. Yeah. Okay. And they just, you know, they just didn't deal with it. And it, it was like, it's still life-saving even if people die. And they said that the show that there was no, like the only comment that they made about the people who died by suicide was that there was no crystal ball. We're not God, but we are. Right. But it's still life-saving. Huh. One of the things Dan Karasik was saying uh, when when basically saying how transition is still always the uh the, the best solution um mm -hmm. even when the, the you know the, the patient's too uh autistic and nonverbal to actually consent as he was saying mm -hmm. how he had he had a patient who was um uh very uh very autistic a, a female to male transitioner and she'd had um top surgery and he was he told the story about how the 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 scars, like her, um, like so post post or hit, post top surgery, the, um, the 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 incisions and the scarring and the healing and the feeling of all of that was so sensorily debilitating, debilitating and distressing yeah. that this person couldn't work for I don't yeah. he didn't say how long but for a very long amount of time it's basically like th this person was just so so debilitated by just just the new feeling of, of, of their chest. Um, and he's telling the story and then he's like, but they also had a great relief from gender dysphoria. And that right. was like, that was just how the story ended. There's no details as to how or why, or did they say this or what, like, yeah. how are you, how are you measuring one over the other? It was just like, th that was just thrown on the, at the end to justify every, it was like, yeah, why he yeah. went into all that detail. And then just like, and then another one when they were talking about, again, the non dis or the non verbal uh, uh, male to female transitioner. Uh, this person couldn't actually say that they wanted to transition, but we do know that after she was given her hormones, she's very happy with the um, feminizing effects of estrogen. And if anything, wish she could have started sooner. That's how do we know that we no, we don't know. He just said that because that's what yeah. he's, you know, that's what everybody wants. It, it's just like, regardless of what, what is actually the, the solution is the answer is always transition is best and yeah. it, it's like even if the evidence directly contradicts that it's like we know that this is what's true and so you know eventually it'll it'll show that but until mm -hmm. then we have to we have to accept that this is what this says but we know that this is what's really yeah it's like this great noble cause that's currently poorly served by the evidence kind of failed by the evidence <laughs> yeah that's one way to yeah. put it wow Yep. So, so I, I guess thinking forwardly, um, you're both documenting something that's happening right now and documenting it deeply. Um, is it too early to, to guess about solutions or outcomes for this? Like, like how, I, I'm sorry to bring this up. How do we win? Well, I thought you came back from Killarney with some theories about that. Who? Me? Yeah. I didn't go to yeah. Clarney. You'll be in, in Denver. Yeah, I will be. Yep. In November. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, you're trying to change the subject, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's an attitude. Um, 
So the the thing that I got from Genspect, I got a lot, and I didn't go to all of the meetings. Um, I just immersed myself in the people, and because um, that's just what I've that's my only vector into this whole topic is who are these people, mm-hmm. what is going on, and and who are the people who are affected, who are the people who are embattled by this, who are the people who are questioning this, and and what is the reasoning behind this, but. It it sounds like there's big flaws. So it, it, it would be wrong of me in my position to say that I'm on, uh, I'm going to make a friend-enemy distinction. But I do think that there's something terribly amiss with um, this gender medicine. And there are there's a lot of harm going on. And the people who are perpetuating this harm have very big weaknesses. So the people who would forestall the harm or challenging harm mm-hmm. need, to, need to act from a position of strength. They need to have their facts down. They need to be cooler, just like, just be more human than the other side. Like just really just be better people. Not uh, like more dope. I guess, yeah, dope. If we okay. want to go back to Belle Biv DeVoe, um, uh, do me baby kind of era, if that's, if that's what you're evoking, uh, Eliza. Um, there's, a, there's a certain level of confidence and community that Genspect, the conference uh, that Genspect hosted, mm-hmm. elicited. There was just, there's a feeling of, of camaraderie and of difficulty. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of personalities in there. It was a very human event to me. So I don't understand. And I have not looked at these medical, uh, conferences that you guys have described, but they're always one step away from the human. They're always kind of Frankensteinian. They're always kind of abstracting the human. And and there's this interventionist, there's this superhuman transhuman kind of attitude that is, it's not good. It's not, it's, it's not wholesome. And, and it leads to really bad things. And then they start to excuse themselves by just betraying logic, betraying consistency. So mm-hmm. what I see is the step forward, like recognizing what it is to be a human being, recognizing what it is to be a man and a woman and not in a, I maybe Matt Walsh had it in a very memeified fashion. What is a woman? But like, what is a human being? What is it to be a human? Like, why do I feel distress? Why, why do these different, why mm-hmm. do kids get swept up in these different fantasies about wanting to escape themselves and just asking Mm -hmm. deep questions and then just really listening, like really listening and being really patient, being really reticent to intervene, to use our will or medicine to change nature. And that's why I was kind of grilling you, Aaron, because I I want to, I wanted to elicit like you, you made a choice and there's trade-offs to that choice. And from your calculus, it made things better for you but you're still very wary of promoting it at all. Like it was a personal choice and, and you don't want it to become a fad. You don't want it to, to the, the, the thing that relieved you from certain distress being turned around and creating more distress. It's an abomination very quickly. Sort of wrapping that into your question is like, how, how does this end or, or do we win is one thing that I became acutely aware of. And it was sort of a, kind of a, a a concern a suspicion i've had for a long time is that a lot of the people who are who are proponents of this 
are people who have already been harmed by it. And that became abundantly mm -hmm. clear in the APA task force meeting is these, these were um, basically three young females. They seemed like they were probably in their, in their mid twenties, early thirties, I'd say tops um, all transitioned to some extent. Um, and were very clearly um, uh, emotionally invested mm -hmm. in 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 the concept of transition and um we're now professionally invested in it and i feel like that emotional and professional investment are um extensions of one another mm -hmm. and i think it's all deeply rooted in a regret that they cannot face and i think or not necessarily a regret um not necessarily regret but it is it is deeply rooted in, in some sort of motivation that they cannot face. And I think for a lot of people, it's going to be regret. And I think a lot of the people who are facilitating this and evangelizing it are either parents or mm -hmm. so I don't think it's necessarily so much people who are I think I think a lot of it is, is financial uh, motivation, financial investment. But I think without the, the finances, it wouldn't run like this is really sure. expensive stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. But but I mean, as far as the 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 um, just just the just the emotional um, uh, the fuel, the the, the mm -hmm. I, I don't know what how to say it other than like, I, I feel like this is being propagated at this point i think it would have all crumbled down except for the fact that of, of the people who have already been harmed who've already been swept up who are already their bodies their lives their jobs their, their families their children yeah, their family, yeah. especially their children are already victims of it yeah. and 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 i think without that it would have died a long time ago but i think most of the most of the gasoline is the victims at this point well, yeah, that and, and the political um, civil rights aspect of it, like what it's being but promoted clinging by to the that. Democrat. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I mean, everybody's clinging to that, to, to that, that, um, yeah, that, that false equation of of a civil rights issue. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. How do, how do you cost. confront people like that? How do you how do you confront a fallacy or phalloplasty for that matter? Huh? You um, don't. You don't. You don't so you don't you, you let it so so how to win is let it run its course and provide an alternative critique uh, alternative yeah yeah you, you just just crack and let holes. the sunk cost sink the people who can't get out of it themselves uh, i don't yeah i mean i don't know because i think aaron's exactly right to say there are a lot of people who for whom this has to be true because they sacrificed their health to it, their children to it, their patients to it, their reputation to it. Mm -hmm. Like to for those people to change course, they would have to reckon with what they had actually done versus what they had hoped that they were doing. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that most of these people are bad people. Right. And I don't think that most of these people are financially motivated, even though, of course, like with this much money, like some of these people are going to be financially motivated. But I think most people are motivated because they see it as a way to do good in the world, no matter how much they have to overlook or choose not to listen to in order to preserve that. And that that does kind of bring me to the one moment of the conference that I almost forgot about, which was not quite on the level of like 
there's an app to help your patients who claim to have multiple personalities to agree on what irreversible surgeries they want when they disagree. But it was that the conference closed out by blasting Don't Stop Believing. And it was just like, this is what keeps it going. Uh -huh. So I, I don't see that we're going to make too many converts. But I think that in every form that we possibly can, it has to be like what they're doing has to be shown to be based on a belief that does not have a basis in reality that is causing real world harm and they have to be defeated in all of those forums. Because I don't think, I think people who have as much invested as so many of these doctors and parents and patients do, hmm. you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna change their minds easily. And we can't let them, we can't let them, you know, let it burn out. So, so action is required, some sort of, not confrontation, but I mean, I think it's a confrontation. Okay. And I think, I mean, even Jen Specht, like coming to Killarney, like that was a confrontation to say, like, okay. there isn't one perspective on this. You don't own this topic. You're not the only yeah. people who get to speak on this topic. I mean, I think something that a lot of people mentioned from their travels into Ireland was like, you know, sitting next to normies on the airplane and talking about why they were <laughs> traveling to Ireland. And, yeah. you know, as soon as normal people know what's happening, they have an instinctive sense that it's just like, it's just wrong. Like, it's just wrong to tell a kid who is going through distress, who is going through ordinary challenges of just growing up and maybe accepting that you're gay or maybe learning to love a body that can be difficult to accept at times that it's just wrong to tell that kid that what they need or else they'll kill themselves is to have surgeries and to take hormones. I think the more that we can drag the stuff into the light, the easier it will be. Yeah. <clears throat> so plug your stuff, guys. Aaron, what are you working on? How can people con connect with you and, and learn all about your research and your activity? Uh, yeah, so I co-host a podcast, uh, Transparency. Um I yeah yeah uh, with uh, Aaron Kimberly another trans man we just talked to um, people with a history of gender dysphoria people who've transitioned detransitioned uh, never transitioned um, and uh, uh, professionals who work in that capacity um, yeah talk to them about the reality of all of this stuff um, yeah which is an extension of gender dysphoria alliance um, uh let's see what else and what, what does gender dysphoria alliance provide or work oh yeah on? yeah so we are uh, again yeah just a a collection of adults with an experience of gender dysphoria advocating for um uh evidence-based uh, research into uh the uh the condition of gender dysphoria and the um uh, treatment offered for it and we um advocate for uh, uh same-sex rights in uh in in uh in the face of what uh, our fellow trans uh individuals are uh demanding um yeah, basically just a collection of, of uh, uh people with gender dysphoria uh with those aims um we are uh, currently recording a series on the Trans Health Summit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that's going to be uh, the next uh, few subsequent... With, uh, with recordings of the 
that's correct. That's with correct. Some commentary. Yeah, okay. So yes. Yes. Really so a psychologist. Blow by blow. Yes. Yeah. A psychologist who was there uh, in person recorded um, all of the sessions that she went to. So we're going to have that audio along with uh, commentary. Uh, myself, Aaron, the co-host, and then uh, uh, the psychologist who recorded it, as well as a pediatrician from the Bay mm-hmm. Area who was also there with us. And so we're gonna uh, go through all of that, uh, all of that content. So yeah, that'll be the next few uh, uh, few episodes. Not sure how many it's going to be. Definitely quite a few. It's just going to be a, hmm. a, a special series uh, for for the yeah foreseeable future. Yeah, that sounds and really Eliza? amazing. Um, yeah, um, you can hear me on Gender Wider Lens on May twenty sixth, which, according to the comment section, is where you find all of your weirdos to bring on the podcast. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I find no, they find all their gender weirdos through me. I found I, them. I, I discovered right. them. I feel like the direction <laughs> may not be right, but the weirdos are definitely there. So yeah, a lot of weirdos um, here. And I also write on Substack at um, Eliza Mondegreen. And uh, anything coming out in the future, Eliza? You're still working on this book. Everybody's really rallying. You're an excellent writer. You're you're on the forefront of this, and you're a really ambitious person. So we're we're all watching you rise to fame. Yeah. (laughs) No. No, still, still. um, If you know somebody who wants to publish a book, let me know. We have a, but you're writing a lot about this topic. Yeah. Deeply. Yeah. Yeah. And my editor and I have a really amazing book proposal that we just need somebody who's, you know, willing. Got the balls to take it. Let's let's put it that way. Cajones. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Are are you going to do a podcast too, Eliza? Other than my podcast and gender violence, you're going to do your own. Oh, I don't She's know. been on mine too. Be a guest. Oh. Yeah, I've been on yours too. Yeah. And yeah. Aaron, she gets around so this girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eliza's mom is a fan of mine. Okay. Yeah, my mom is just like, I love that, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, hi, mom. <laughs> hi, Eliza's mom. <laughs> hey. Can we can we cheers and I'll end the yeah. recording? Unless you guys are out. Oh, you're out. Well, kind. Okay. There's a cherry in here. Okay. Well. All right. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Cheers.